T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. WTIC. Oh, this is so much fun. David Friedman, son of Milton Friedman, the great economist, supposed to be with us in a few minutes. And I'm looking forward to that because, you know, it's well, this guy's small government and we're focused on small government. He's an anarcho capitalist, anarcho capitalist, which means that he wants no government. Now, this sounds outrageous and offensive and hard to get your head around. But the way I figure it is what's outrageous and offensive is what we have now which is plundering government, lying, slithering, hateful government that takes all our money, makes up all kinds of stories to take all our money, robs us blind, and secretly drives us into bankruptcy by committing us to spend money on stuff and then telling us, oh, no, you're, you're not allowed to ever stop. You've got to pay these benefits forever. Stuff like that. That's the law, they say, as if the law makes it something holy. Well, it's not a holy law if you've connived and manipulated so that you can plunder and rob us. You know, that's immoral. The whole thing we have now for government is immoral, so we need something better, and we better start researching the options instead of just saying, oh, no, you can't do that. You have to have government as a necessary evil. Well, that's what government says. Government says government is a necessary evil. But where's the proof? That it's, we've never tried anything else. There's always been government. They come with their guns. They force everybody to do what they say. And then they become the government over time. And everyone looks at them like somehow they're important and smart and and fair and decent and moral. Which, of course, government isn't. Even in our society, it started out intending to be a moral government. But the plunderers eventually took control. And now they've robbed us blind and... And oppress us just like every other government. So we've got to figure out a solution. So David Friedman, we're going to talk to him about, we're going to talk to David Friedman about his thoughts. It's really interesting stuff. Anarcho-capitalism, it's called. Anarcho-capitalism. 860 is our phone number. The rant line number 751-4698. We're going to do the... We're going to do the rants in about an hour. 
or so. Right now, the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Mark Christopher loves that big traffic jam, so he can tell you about it. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Good afternoon to you at WTIC. I'm I'm excited because our new our new mission for the show is to get a new political party started in Connecticut, and that'll be one that will advocate for constitutional values. And but our interpretation of those values will be the absolute minimum government that you can possibly get away with, which I'm, I'm hoping will be none, because I feel that they've proven themselves just not trustworthy. Here to talk about it is David Friedman. David Friedman is uh, retired now, but he was a law professor at Sa- Santa Clara University in, in California, and he's he wrote a book on anarcho-capitalism decades ago. Uh, he's an economist and legal scholar and uh, physicist as well. Smart guy, David Friedman. Welcome to WTIC, and thank you for being here. Glad to be here. I am fascinated with this idea of doing away with government altogether, and you, your idea or the ideas you've written about and, and that you espouse, and it's not that you're the only person, but there aren't a lot of people running around talking about anarcho-capitalism. But the idea of having uh, some kind of market-driven system to replace government seems to me the only logical conclusion mankind can come to after looking at the performance of government through the millennia. I don't think it's the only possible conclusion, because after all, we're still most of us alive, so government could have failed worse. Uh, But I do think it is worth seriously considering the possibility that there are no essential government functions. Uh, that there are some things which are harder to do on the market and some things easier, but generally the same problems that make some things hard to do well on the gov- on the market also make them hard to do on the government. That well, there is a yeah. Give us an example of, of one of those, maybe. Sure. There's a set of problems that economists call market failure, and that sounds as though it's about markets, but it really isn't. Market failure is situations where individual rationality doesn't produce group rationality, where each person does what is what he correctly believes in his, his interest, but we're all worse off as a result. So my standard unexciting example is one that probably all of you have experienced. You're in a restaurant chatting with your friends, and it's a little bit noisy, so you start raising your voice. And the people around you, of course, are chatting with their friends, so they start raising their voice. So you've got to raise your voice even higher. So they've got to raise their voice even higher. And the result is that everybody is hoarse and nobody can hear each other. (laughs) And that's the sort of a a humble example. But it's a situation where you're making a decision where a good deal of the cost of that decision is imposed on other people. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the fact that it's in your interest doesn't mean it's in our interest. And there are a lot of other examples of this of this general sort. Uh, and calling it market failure is misleading. That example suggests it doesn't happen on the market necessarily. And in fact, that same pattern is even more common, I think, if you look at how governments work, that almost nobody in the system, whether a voter, a politician, a bureaucrat, or a judge, actually bears the cost of his own actions. Uh, but the... That, uh, it, 
you know, the the problem is so grotesque, the destruction that's being done to us here in America. In Connecticut, we're about $150 billion in debt with uh, no way that we can see to pay that. Nobody talks about it. And the federal government is uh, $32 trillion in debt that they talk about. I'm sure there's there's trillions of other obligations that aren't in that accounting. And nobody says boo. But we're being robbed blind and probably in the greatest caper that's uh, that's ever been committed against uh, people who've gone out and worked hard to earn money. But, but it takes a candidate to beat a candidate. So the question is not, are there things wrong with the present system, but are there better alternatives? And I'm arguing that there probably are. And that's not a very fashionable view, but that if you... And basically, the system that I sketched out about 50 years ago in my first book is one in which you have private firms that sell the service of protecting your rights and settling your your conflicts with other people. And individuals are customers of such firms, and each pair of firms whose customers might interact finds in their interest to agree in advance on a private course. Yeah, because so give us an example of this uh, this market-driven substitute for a Well, let, a let me give you an example that really exists, an example okay. that really exists at present, which is analogous to that. And that's the way auto insurance companies settle their disputes, mm-hmm. that if if your, your car dents my car, and it's not clear which of us is at fault and therefore which, which insurance company should pay, we could sue each other, or the insurance companies could sue each other. They practically never do. Because since they know that this is a repeat problem, they agree among themselves on various rules, simple rules for saying, here's how we decide which client uh, is, is, is at fault and therefore which company pays. So that's a case where it looks on the face of it as though you need the government to intervene because each company doesn't want to have to pay, obviously, and wants to think the other company is at fault or the other company's client is at fault. And yet, in fact, it routinely is done by private arrangements among the companies. So that would be an example. Now, there are lots of historical examples, but not from modern societies, that there are various past societies in which law enforcement was in one form or another uh, being done privately. I suppose the most recent one we have good evidence about would be Somalia before, uh, before Italy and England gave up their involvement in Somalia and tried to create a government for it. And Somalia was a place that had never had a government. They had private mechanisms for settling disputes. Uh, and we, we, not we actually, the English and the Italians set up a government. Uh, the government turned into a dictatorship. The dictatorship got involved in a war with Ethiopia. <laughs> the Russians who had been supporting uh, Somalia decided to switch sides and support Ethiopia. The war went badly. Uh, eventually, the dictator got killed. Things were going back. Yeah, well, towards well the, we know how government goes system. bad, but but and, we and don't. The US and the UN decided that they had to impose the government, and that's why things have been a mess ever since. Continue yes. what you were So saying. whenever you have centralized power, you get these these scenarios like the one you just described. But but can you give us more specifics then on how Somalia did this? How do you deal with sure. um, if people want to settle something, they just go to the settlement store and they each put down their feet? No, in, in, in Somalia, there were basically mechanisms for setting up for when a dispute occurred uh, for setting up. Uh, a 
sort of ad hoc court with more or less known rules and then abiding uh, by the verdict of that court under social pressure. It didn't always work. Sometimes people ended up fighting it. You know, there are no perfect systems, uh, but mostly uh, they, they didn't end up fighting. Mostly they ended up settling things peacefully. Uh, one bit that I thought was interesting was there was one point when there was quite a lot of violent conflict. And so the two sides agreed to raise the price for killing somebody. Right. In 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 <laughs> lots of primitive pr primitive yes. private law systems, yep. you kill somebody and once all the dust settles and the rules are worked out, you owe, you owe damages. Mm -hmm. What's called Wehrgeld in the in the Icelandic case, which is the one that I actually first studied. Uh, so they decided, well, the young men are being too violent. Let's raise the price on both sides. Uh, and that results in, in less violence. So the price uh, would, is is something that is imposed after the fact or in advance yes, is... that is to say, basically, in, 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 there are a variety of systems. Wehrgeld is what, it, is what it's called in, in the 10th century Icelandic system, which I first got interested in. Uh, it's Dia in the uh, Bedouin system and so forth. But the basic idea is you have a legal rule in which if you do something that somebody else thinks is wrong, they have some mechanism to sue you, mm -hmm. some way of having a court that neither of you runs. The court gives a verdict. You either abide by the verdict or don't, but if you don't, then the other side is authorized to use violence against you, and all of the neighbors know that they're the good guy and you're the bad guy because you didn't go along with the rule. That's a sort of simplified picture of of how such a system works. We're talking to and David the, Friedman, who is a, a proponent of a system called anarcho-capitalism, which means to have government that is not government, or that is to have substitutes for government that are yes. run within the society itself. And the advantage of this would be if you imagine, I guess, a police, uh, if, if a town needs a police department, they, they could contract with a private security firm to provide those services. And if they weren't happy with the services, they could simply uh, let that firm go when its yes. contract is up and hire another one. There's a pretty good science fiction uh, novel uh, called Oath of Fealty by Niven and Cornell, which is describing something a little like this. It's basically a sort of – it's like an apartment building the size of a small city run privately, and it's got its own security. And if the security finds one of the tenants is coming in drunk, they don't arrest him. They, they get him safely to his apartment because the security wants the people to want to be tenants, mm -hmm. and that requires that you treat them well. <laughs> so <laughs> That's um, very interesting. That could become problematic in some circumstance, I suspect. Maybe. there. I don't think there are any perfect systems. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, I discuss in my first book ways in which my system would not always do what I want. Uh, but I think that a system where the legal rules and the enforcement of the legal rules are in effect the product of a private market, just like uh, groceries are today, mm -hmm. where if, if, the, if, if the private court that two agencies use can figure out a way of changing its rules that everybody will like, that means it can charge more for its services and it therefore has an incentive to do that. It's as I say, it's hard in a conversation this long to go into many of the details of how it works or how it doesn't work. And if people are sufficiently curious, if they go to my webpage, the PDF of my first book, actually the third edition of my first book, uh, is up on the webpage for free so you can read it because I write books mostly to spread ideas, not more. That is davidfriedman.com? Uh, 
DavidDFriedman.com. Somebody okay. else beat me to David Friedman. So DavidDFriedman.com. David Go there and check out That's his cool. writings on this. So uh, perfection, yeah, you've, stuff you've said a couple of times that no system is perfect, and, and certainly the one we have is a disaster. It's not even in the neighborhood. And I don't think perfection is the goal, but something workable where we don't have this adversarial relationship where the people we're hiring to run our affairs for us lie to us and cheat us in ways that in any other realm would cause violence to happen against them. And we just smile and go along with it and say, well, that's government. But if you think about the logic of the situation, this is going back to my point about market failure. The individual voter has very little incentive to know whether the people he's voting for are doing a good job because the individual voter knows that his vote has in a national election, something under one chance in a million of changing the outcome. Mm -hmm. If it does change the outcome, he gets only a tiny fraction of the benefit of a better politician because most of it goes to other people who are being benefited. Mm -hmm. So the result is that most <laughs> voters are rationally ignorant. It's rational to be ignorant if the information is not worth what it costs. And the information to figure out which politician is less bad is worth almost nothing to you since your vote will have almost no effect. Yes. So whereas if you're buying a car, uh, you have a fairly strong incentive to figure out which car works and which car fits your, your, your family's needs because your decision determines what car you get. So the so car salesman might deceive us, but we're less inclined to believe what he says in the first place. We're less inclined to believe it, and it's in our interest to get the right answer. But it's not in your interest to figure out whether Trump was a good president. It's in your interest to figure out whether the friends you associate with like Trump. Mm -hmm. And if they like Trump, you should like Trump, too, because then you'll get along with them. And if they don't like Trump, then you should not like Trump, too. And whether Trump is actually a good president has almost no effect on whether it's in your interest to vote for him, because your vote has almost no effect. So, David Friedman, general, appreciate you taking the time to talk. We have just one minute left. Any closing thought you want to give us? Uh. I guess I'm not sure I do. Uh, but the other thing I like talking about uh, is climate change, because I think it's real, but I think the evidence that it's bad is not as clear as people claim. Uh, but if you look on my webpage, you can, or my blog, I've got a link to the blog on the webpage. You can find the stuff I've written about that. But okay. mostly go look at my webpage, and it's got lots of free information, lots of articles and links to books of mine and so forth. Good. DavidDFriedman.com. Appreciate you being here, uh -huh. sir. Great to make your acquaintance. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's him. That's David Friedman. That was fun. There's a little introduction to anarcho-capitalism. That is the elimination of government and market-driven solutions being put in place instead. Doesn't sound that scary, does it? What do you think? 860-522-9842. Let's go to the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center, where all the information is free of politics, I hope. Mark Christopher is there. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Yeah, it's WTIC. It's our regular time to be together, and I thank you for hanging out. The uh, We were talking about about electric cars, and, and David Friedman mentioned that he's into climate change as well. And I, I, I'm just intrigued to get his ideas on it. Because, the um, first of all, I would encourage everybody, if you're concerned about climate change, don't be concerned about the side of climate change that has to do with uh, whether it's happening or not. I would focus instead on the side of if it's happening, what are the policies they support? Because the way they trick us on this is keep us fighting over whether it's happening or not. Meanwhile, they push through all these incentives for new behavior like they spend fortunes we spend fortunes for tax breaks or rebates for people doing certain things like buying electric cars why should we be paying people to buy electric cars why should you be taxed in order to pay people to buy electric cars do we even have a vague idea of what benefit might be derived from that let's talk to mark in watertown hey mark yes i want to talk about uh friedman and uh i'm surprised that his dad didn't think of what he's talking about and i don't want to be a slave to capitalism and i don't want to be a slave to government i don't want to throw the constitution out the window well, the Constitution's out the window. We have to go go chase it down and, and bring it back if we want to have it again. Well, that could be possible. That could be possible. You know, all this stuff they do, they do just do crazy stuff. It's all extra constitutional. This idea of funding things because they give it a name, like to, and then to put that name in legislation, like because they think that uh, that somebody deserves some money that they were harmed a certain community was harmed because of drug laws made by the government that that they have to make a new law that that where money goes to 
pay back those people for this imaginary slight that was handed to them? That that is ridiculous. They uh, the only thing we could do is put people in our representative government that will do what the what the voters want them to do. You, but right. how do you find those people? Once you get inside a government, you find out it doesn't work the way we think it works. It works the way the Democrats run it in Connecticut. It's a it's a, a mafioso-style organization where they do whatever they want. And like if a, you don't go along with it, you get run over. Like a smoky back room. Well, yes, worse than that. An yeah. armed one. Yeah, but, uh, you know, this this can't be like the Beatles. Imagine no religion, you know, government and religion have been with us since I can remember. So we're just not going to get rid of it. And uh, well, both of them are both of them are up to individuals, whether they exist or not, Mark. And and that's the main thing. You know, it's 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 up to us about the religion and the government. Thank you, sir. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Traffic time. The BPS Lawyers Traffic Center with Mark Christopher. Now back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk ten eighty. WTIC. Let's talk to Doc in Harwinton. Hello, Doc. Hey, how you doing? What's up? Oh, you, well, I'm, I'm supposed to ask you that. You're the doc. <laughs> I'm not a medical doctor. Oh, okay. Too bad. I I'm had a, a couple of no questions. Patients. You're a doctor of what? With no patients. <laughs> With no patients. Okay, good. Unintended. I like that. Um, first, um, on the subject of climate change, the climate of the earth is always changing. Where I have a problem is when people try to claim that man is the cause of change that's going on. I think we're overvaluing ourselves in our impact on the world personally well i i Um, i think that may be the case but but it's a tough argument to make because i think everyone's been brainwashed already so i think the more effective one is to say let's agree for the sake of argument that climate change is caused by man's activities let's evaluate what the climate change movement is proposing that we do and let's check out the research on what exactly can be done to correct this problem. And what do they say? And if you look at their statements and you look at their recommendations, you find things that don't make sense and you find things that are untested. So maybe electric cars would make a difference, but we don't know if we can get the batteries for them. So, okay, there go. And we don't have the, we don't have the electrical grid to be able to switch everything to electricity. You know, so it falls apart really quickly. It, it does, and there's also the cost of manufacturing alternative energy, and there's a hidden cost because a lot of countries subsidize wind farms. So there's no real true cost that you can go by as far as, okay, you know, this 5-megawatt uh, system costs um, $5 million. There's no hard and fast price tag on them, and, and that's where I have problems. Yeah, well, so all of it falls apart when it's uh, looked at closely because they don't actually do the work of uh, making these things make sense. So I, I like the that's why I like focusing in on on what their solutions are, because they don't have a solution. Yet they're trying to force us to eliminate our current sources of electricity and power 
without offering a viable replacement. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge, I think. 860-522-9842. We've got Red ready to go on WTIC. Red Janky, that is. The-red-line.com. Hey, Red. Hey, Todd. How are you? What's going on? Hey, uh, a little bit of a change of subject. Um, I'd take us all down to Washington, D.C. in the recent um, um, outcry about the behavior of what the mainstream media has dubbed the Chaos Caucus. Uh, and that is the uh, about 20 House Republicans who held out for um, about a week before uh, voting for Kevin or McCarthy, voting yeah. absent mm-hmm. for uh, Speaker McCarthy. Yeah. And the so-called Chaos Caucus um, was so named before anyone really focused in on what what they were pushing for. And, of course, uh, that was in part for a legitimate reason, because the negotiations that were going on were negotiations with potential Speaker McCarthy, and they were secret negotiations. No one was divulging to the press, but it did leak out. And since the agreement has been struck, uh, more has leaked out. And the two main features are quite laudatory. Um, One... They want um, 72 hours between when a bill is introduced before members are required to vote on it. Which is actually a pretty minimal kind of request. Why wouldn't there be weeks or months before most legislation is passed, especially these huge bills that have thousands of things in them and thousands of pages to read? Well, what a setup you give me. The other laudatory change and reform that's been instituted as committees have been has have reclaimed their power. So the agricultural committee will have province over agricultural legislation. So members on the agricultural committee will develop and they will work on agricultural uh, legislation and it'll come out and it'll mean something. And their colleagues will be able to check with them as the agricultural segment is developed, learn about it if they have questions. So when it reaches the floor, it's, it's pretty transparent. And committee chairman will have some power again. So we'll actually have Congress um, operating where people develop some expertise, and apply it so that we're not just the a a large mob deciding in the last 15 minutes whether to vote on a bill that's 7,000 pages that no one's read, except for the leadership. Have you seen anything you don't like from the Freedom Caucus? Well, um, another setup line. Um, A lot of uh, focus has, has been trained upon uh, their announcement that they will not vote to increase the debt ceiling. Horrors. The, the U.S. is going to default on its debt. Well, no. What they're doing is putting everyone on notice that the problem is not whether we raise the ceiling. It's why do we need 
Why have we been doing all this wild spending that requires us to raise the ceiling? I mean, over the last three years, round numbers, Todd, we have uh, increased the national debt by $8 trillion. So what you're suggesting is that the media has become an actor in propagandizing for one side or the other rather than the reporter of the facts that the people need to make up their own minds. Precisely. And little do people know, and maybe they've been reading the news, those who who pay attention to this kind of thing, but um, we've hit the debt ceiling. The, the debt ceiling is at actually $31.803 trillion. And we're at something like $31.800 trillion when last reported last week. And the Treasury Secretary sent Congress a letter that we would hit the ceiling on Thursday of this week. Now, they are going to employ what, quote, extraordinary measures to stay under the ceiling, and that will last until June. So that's almost five months. So there is plenty of time to negotiate spending cuts that will address the fact that we shouldn't be raising the national debt $8 trillion over three years. But, Red, the, uh, the money that we waste in this country, the, the borrowed money that doesn't exist, that we spend before we have any idea what we're spending it on or, or why, and, and that's part one. Part two is the spending persists. So the fact that we're, we can't pay our bills and we keep running uh, deficits each year that, that set records sometimes, we, in the middle of all that, plundering of of the uh, national treasury and the pocketbooks of the people of the country what what they keep doing is acting like nothing's going on and there is no need for anything frugal and all of the infrastructure of the status quo like the media is is revving up the game into where oh look at these morons who would who would dare to to reduce spending Something's got to straighten this out. Yeah, the narrative, Todd, is this, that we've taken on this debt and we've spent the money. And it's immoral and irresponsible to pay for goods and services we've already received. That's stiffing people who've delivered those products and services, right? So you're That's saying the wrong narrative. The the, the narrative should be that we shouldn't be obligating ourselves to spend money that doesn't exist. And so what we're going to do in response to um, keeping the debt ceiling in place is we're going to cut spending, which will cut spending on future products and services. Why it is that because we have a debt limit, that all the focus is on past spending and the idea that we are um, stiffing the providers of the goods and services 
that were acquired with past spending is ludicrous. The but Red, of, Red of all the stuff you're saying is obviously true. The question is, how do we get ourselves out of this fix where all the machinery of government and, and uh, government disinformation is geared up to make sure the flow of money never stops, regardless of how irresponsible it is and how dangerous it is for us to go so deeply in debt. So how do we get from here to there? I don't see the Republicans offering a an actual solution to the ongoing problem. Well, I think, you know, first, um, let's let's give Republicans credit for a blunt instrument. OK, if you know, father knows best. Let's go back to the 1950s and 60s, the famous TV show. Father knows best. Okay. Father says, you're not getting an allowance increase. You're going to have to live within your allowance. But right? they're not going to stick to that, Red. They're going to have a big fight, and they then they get to run for re-election, claiming they were tough on something. But... Over time, we have seen these games be played by both sides where nothing changes, right? We've had debt ceiling fights before, and nothing has changed. Well, nothing has changed except for the fact that now we have a ginormous mountain of debt. And uh, exactly. as you know, I've written um, um, to the effect that very soon um, – at current interest rate levels and our current um, debt outstanding, interest, gross interest on the national debt will exceed $1 trillion a year. That would make it the third largest expense item in the federal budget. So are you anticipating that that will cause the, uh, the urgency to penetrate the consciousness of the culture? Uh, I do believe there is a, a, you know, fear concentrates the mind. And the real danger of default in this country, okay, if you compare two risks, the risk is not that the ceiling is too low and somehow we default on our debt. Right. The risk is right. we take on too much debt and we just yeah, the, don't have the wherewithal to yeah, the ceiling. The ceiling is too high is is the risk. That, that's a good way of framing yeah. it. Red Janky, thank you, sir. The-red-line.com. We'll talk to you again soon. Red Janky, the-red-line.com. Dave, hang on. We'll talk to you after news. And right now we're going to talk to Mark Christopher because he knows what's going on in the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Mark. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.